and welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends. Unexpectedly, James Bond has been called away on an assignment, so they put me, Paul Atkinson, here in charge of things. I'm from MI6 HQ and I'm joined by many stunning guests today, David Lee, Mark O'Connell, James Page, and a new guest, Bill Koenig. Could you introduce yourselves? Hi, this is uh, David Lee here. Uh, I am in rainy Spain. Um, you can find me at uh, the James Bond Dossier or at 007 Dossier uh, on Twitter. Hi, I'm Mark O'Connell. I'm author, writer, Bond fan. I wrote Catching Bullets and I'm Octopussy's uh, newest intern. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. My name is James Page from MI6, along with Paul. You can find us at mi6hq.com and mi6confidential.com is our magazine. Hello, this is Bill Koenig, and I am uh, I run a, a website called The Spy Command, and I also have a website called The Bond 25 Timeline, and I'm a longtime 007 fan. Alrighty, thanks, gents. So I guess we've called this meeting of expectant parents, um, hoping for something to happen anytime soon. And as soon as we drop this episode, something will happen. But I thought we could talk a little bit about, first up, sort of what we're expecting from James Bond 25. What are we, what are we excited about? What are we looking forward to? Uh, what, what do we anticipate, really? That there's going to be a new director and presumably a new, new voice, or whatever you call it. And that's always exciting. So yes, I guess we've got remarkably an American at the helm for the first time in the series history. Um, Bill is our resident American. I'm 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 a new one too. So there's two of us. <laughs> it's you know it's it's it is funny. As far back as 1962, there's some executives at United Artists who were like really keen on an American named Carlson to direct Doctor No. His problem was his asking price was seventy five thousand dollars, which was like a little of the budget. And uh, Terrence Young could be had for like I think it's like forty two thousand. Um, and, and Grant, that was UA, not Eon. But anyway, there were talks as early as the beginning about having American. Is there something? I guess here's a here's a ponderous question. Is there something that? Fukunaga's credentials are not necessarily very Hollywood, but is there something about being born and brought up in California and living in the studio system that might um, affect the way he approaches this project as against somebody like Forster who um, comes from a European style of filmmaking? I, I wouldn't say that's necessarily a good thing. I think the Bond, the Bond films do have an international look to them and they do distinguish themselves a little bit from what Hollywood churns out. In, the, in terms of the style and scale and craftsmanship, um, I hope that doesn't change. I, I think Fukunaga is a really interesting, amazing choice. I was a bit bereft when Danny Boyle left ship for uh, whatever reasons they're going to end up being. And and I was sort of looking, I was actually looked at sort of Danny Boyle, he's in his early 60s, and then we've now got Kerry Fukunaga, who's in his early 40s. And I just and he's a he's a Netflix generation director. He was one of the first uh, directors to have a Netflix original movie with Beasts of No Nation. And I I actually think it's a good thing for Bond to move forward a bit and to have possibly a younger vibe, a younger director, a director who's aware of not only his cinema but also you know the, the multi-platform streaming era we live in. I I feel only really really good things about uh, Mr. Fukunaga. I haven't seen anything that he's done, but you know, I I I think after after Spectre, I, I, I'm interested in in seeing what he can do, and uh, you know, wh whoever was on board. So I, I was 
unlike Mark, I, I, I was quite happy to see Danny Boyle as director originally, but then that didn't work out. And so we've got a new guy. We'll see in about a year's time. Uh, that's that's all. Uh, I, I, do, I don't know. I haven't seen anything by him, so I can't His judge him. His name would not have come up in any speculation about Bond 25. So there's an element of unpredictability. So that should come on our toes, if nothing else. Watch the watch the opening titles of the first season of True Detective. That will that will make you your heart slightly leap with excitement. I think because that that was an amazing series, a very visceral, brutal show. I mean, it's not what he's going to do with Bond. It was a completely different tone, but it had great great moments, beautiful cinematography that he himself was partly involved with because he trained as as a cinematographer and he's also a writer. So he's He's got an understanding of all those different departments that have often been very different and separate, you know, from Bond. You, you, don't, you don't get a writer-director. You don't get a director-cinematographer. And he's not going to be doing that, but he'll have some awareness. And certainly with the, the difference of the time schedule on this film, I think that, that was a great call as well because he'll they'll have a shorthand and a speed to possibly how he works. I do I do plan on seeing it, but uh, we've only got season three here at the moment, so uh, I can't do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or I mean, Jane Eyre's, Jane Eyre's a beautiful film as well, where he really gets the British idiom, and he, you know, he he made a film with Michael Fassbender and Judy Dench, so that's that's nearly a bomb film. Yeah. I mean, and I, I don't I don't mean I hadn't uh, I hadn't heard him connected to to Bond. I, I hadn't heard his name before. Well, I remember that he slightly I wouldn't say publicly, but he was the director that was lined up to do the first part of it, and um, well, whatever happened, he didn't. He didn't start shooting, and he was—it was very near to shooting when he had to withdraw. So I, we were some, some of us were slightly aware of his name, but he was, like uh, Bill said, I don't think he was ever. You know, he was not not an obvious name, and that's why I think that's why I think you know I've said it before that, that Eon have turned a thunderball into a curveball, and this is a real big curveball. And I, even those those images we've seen from Norway that feel a bit stolen and a bit sneaky, and I'm, I personally try—I I don't tally too much with all this sort of pap style um reconnaissance work on bond sets but already just that little moment that we've seen and maybe we'll talk about it later there's there's a suggestion that he's he's going to be slightly funk it up you know i i, I did say f-u-n-k there's going to be a little different a bit spicy um maniac's a great sort of atari 80s aware show um, that, that's on Netflix as well, and I recommend it. I, I do feel it would have made a better film than the TV series, but I'm I'm really stoked by it, and I, I think he's out of out of a lot of people. He's got an opinion about things. He's got an opinion about politics and cinema, and I I think that's no bad thing for Bond, particularly in a post-Trump, post-Brexit. Well, we're not in post at all, but in this current 2019 context. I, I'm with you, Mark. I, I I think that much like we are both apologists for a view to a kill. I think there is an element of what we've seen so far, the little sliver we've seen so far, that he might be bringing some mystery flavors to this film that we haven't seen. And it's going to hmm. distinguish itself from Craig's run, just in stylish, stylistic tones and, hmm. you know, right. casting decisions and just the, the look of what we've seen so far does look different to what has gone before. Yes. And I, you know, it, it wouldn't look, it looked a bit Nolan-ish, a little bit. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm looking forward to it being a bit uh, off color, off color has a little negative connotation, but you know, with a, with a little spicy twist. I was going to say and something else about that footage that leaked out from Norway. We did not see it, that footage, how it was intended to be shown. We saw, you know, from a camera, from another angle, as I remember in 1982, Absolutely. the Today Show in the United States, 
did a story about Octopussy, and they were showing the filming of the um, it's the Bond's fighting. And I was like watching, I was like, oh, that doesn't look very convincing at all. But then when you see the footage, the way it's meant to be seen from the camera, you know, that's shooting the footage for the movie, oh, that's much better. And it's like, okay, plus the sound effects and everything. But, you know, it's all about the angle for the movie, and you know, it, it's it's just different. Mm. Yeah, and context is everything, like you say. We don't know what this is, and nor we nor do we need to know as well. And I, personally, I, I if I see slithers of a film shoot or something, I, I'm happy to not know anything. I don't want to know the context. I just, I like to go in a little um, virginal, even as a fan in 2019. It's hard to be a Bond a Bond film virgin when all these uh, fr- you know these paps and hashtags are sort of teasing and trying to show us a, a bit of flesh <laughs> in a metaphorical way. Yeah, that's the dic- that's the difficulty, isn't it? <laughs> Back in the 1980s, Bill, one of the things that you could judge, I guess, would have been production design. But even these days, so many of the shots go through CG processing that we um, end up losing mountains or gaining mountains or gaining mist or having a building be set in a completely different light. It's like in real life, the building was never, you know, there was never an explosion in the movie. It's like a big hole in the side. Or, or Or removing the MI6 headquarters. Already for me, though, those Norway, those glimpses of Norway uh, shooting, I feel uh, we're, we're in a real era of, look, when you look at the costume design of the Bond films, there is a, there's, there's been decisions made in, in what is visible on that frozen lake. And um, I'm excited by it. We, we talked recently about, you know, the child element and what that could be. And I, I'm happy not knowing because – because right now, the, you know, we don't need to know. Uh, the speculation is great, but um, yeah, I, I, Bill's right. It's it's all about the angles. It's all, and these days, if you add CGI, add a mounted. I, I said before, I lived near um, where they shot Skyfall Lodge, where they blew that house up. And I have friends who live in this area and said, no, they didn't shoot it in where it was shot because there's no mountains there. I'm like, yeah, yeah, there's no lake either, but it, they did shoot it there. It was all done afterwards. And um, yeah, so in fact, that's actually a good thing that modern blockbusters, especially when they're shooting in you know, public arenas and public locations, they can, they know they've got that license where they know that we're not seeing anything because they're going to go back and green screen. The, right, and, you know, the and in the case of, of some of the superhero movies, it's like the actors, when they're, filming, they're, you know, the, their whole uniforms like put on in post-production. I said, I saw some footage from Avengers, uh, last year's Avengers, not the upcoming one. And it's like, you know, they're they're wearing something that doesn't look anything at all what using on film. That's all done in post-production, so. So in terms of, I guess, we often talk about, well, this podcast has talked about um, not wanting to fall back into some of the tropes of the recent mm. years, mm. things like uh, revenge movies or going rogue or something like that. What would you like to see from a um, Bond 25, what will actually round out Daniel Craig's era nicely? Are there some things that, not locations, not necessarily even stunt pieces, not going into space because Kelvin isn't here. Um, (laughs) Sorry, Kelvin. What would you like to see in terms of the pacing, the tone, and the kind of qualities that um, Dan Craig himself will bring to the screen? For for, for me, I, I think I would like to see... Some of the humour that we saw in, in in Spectre, but not taking it as far and not as they did sometimes, not having it in the places they they put it. And uh, I'm really thinking 
of the car chase in Rome, for example, when uh, they he, he he's slowed up by the guy in the Fiat 500 playing opera and you know it is very funny but the, the scene would have been far better without that and just concentrating on the car chase so humor yeah but, uh, Inspector, not in that it was, kind of style it was, it was humorous but it didn't go over the top like David said the um, the guy in the Fiat that's going over the top um, yeah, just a little you know, just enough humor that's, I, I think that's the key that, that will help yes I think it might be part of something like don't dwell on the jokes. Don't yeah. like point at them and go, see, look, that's funny. <laughs> if it slips by half the audience, mm. then that's okay because it's a, a quality of a good joke is that it kind of just the, the key with humor by humor you. It breaks tension well for, but you yes, as you said, mm. don't linger on it. For, for me personally, I think when it comes to what I expect from Daniel Craig's uh, last film uh i am just really looking forward to an, an autumnal bond who doesn't have to prove anything to his story or to the cinema audiences watching i think that's a cracking prospect and i also think in this we've had quite a heavy two or three years as a as a globe and i what i do feel there might be a more of a lightness of touch um to this film i i think it will acknowledge how things have gone globally, but I don't think we're going to get specifics, nor should we, because nothing dates a Bond film or indeed any film more than mentioning, you know, too many political movements and all of that. I, and I, uh, it could almost be like You Only Live Twice, which I often cite as one of my favourite Conneries, because everyone said he looked bored. And I think, no, he actually, there's a sense of relief about his performance in that film. He's, he's lighter physically and in terms of tone. And I, I think Craig's going to go light with this. Um, I was going to say, we'll see, but... You know, and that would be fine. It's just, um, I just don't want to like get deep into Bond's history yet again. It's just like, I think we know we need to know about Bond's backstory. Let's just move on. And like a little bit of humor here, a little bit of humor there. But, you know, if they want to do something like rest of these films, that's fine. That's their choice. And, you know, if they do it in, in an entertaining way, that's great. But just, just don't, just don't dwell on it too much, I guess. I'd say um, I, I agree with you, David. Like the the, the jokes, but make, not make yes. them as obvious and make it lighter. Yeah. I think we mentioned this on one of the previous episodes. I think it was you, Mark. Yeah. The, the, the concept of the two day Bond film, where everything takes place over forty eight hours, and it's just like bam, 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 bam. Yeah, well, let's go back to that. We don't need these huge time periods. I mean, mm. Skyfall. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I don't know if you actually sat down and worked out the timeline of it, but that film takes place over months. So the idea of just dropping into the start of the mission and it's two days or something minus, you know, plus travel time. I think that would be great. In terms of, like, referencing the series, I think, Mark, you make a good point about Craig being lighter because this is his swan song. And I think we talked about it before, this idea of Craig's checklist of uh, things he wants to get done knowing this is his last one. I think it is going to be a bit of a assortment box of things that he's want tropes that he's wanted to put into the films as a fan. I think we'll see a few things. And whether they can gel them together without making them look obvious is going to be the trick. And set your diaries for 12 months from now, and I think we can put 10 Bond dollars on Vespa getting mentioned in this film, one way or another. Yeah, I watched Dumbo the other night, and I, was, I, I love Eva Green anyway, and she's really good in that film because she's not playing slightly sort of cracked crazy like she often does. Uh, and I was watching her going, oh, are you going to do the Judy Dench vlog? Is there going to be a thing and then i started to think 
Okay, she drowned in the lift. We saw that. There was no oxygen or life left in her. But does, did Spectre come along with a better medical team and just produce her into life? You know, it's, and I, I wondered that myself. And I, I do think, I, I don't think she's going to be an oil painting on a wall somewhere, but I think there will be a reference to her. And, and, and rightly so. Absolutely rightly so. Because she, you know, she was, she's Bond's Tracy. She's Craig's Tracy. So I think she could get reference. Although I hope it's, I doubt it will be. I don't think, I hope we don't get sort of um, Vespaline's sister, sort of Viralin, no, no um, or something horrific like that. Just a side on timelines. Yeah, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow never dies. Specifies this is like a forty-eight hour period. Ah, yeah, good point. And the spy, and the spy who loved me specified it was like roughly yeah. a three-week period because Bond tells uh, Anya that yeah he came back three weeks ago in Austria when he happened. Hey, yeah, he happened to kill her boyfriend, um, mm. but the, which is a really good scene. I, I'm making light of it, but that's a very specific time reference. And Her Majesty's Secret Service is, well, no, it's from like September to Christmas because of the uh, movie. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd never, I'd never thought about how um, how long Skyfall took over, uh, but I, it it doesn't give me the impression of taking a uh, place over months. It, it seems like it's days, but uh, I trust your judgment on that, James. But I, I think that's actually... Well, he, 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 grow, he grows a beard and they sell his flat. So that's at least a few weeks. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, good. yeah, yeah, that, that's true. That's true. It's kind of uh, poor filmmaking if you don't get that sense of time passing. And I, and I do notice that in quite a lot of films. You think, well, hang on, that must have, must have uh, been months but I didn't get that that sense of, of time passing. It just seems like it's the same day. Property prices and uh, government budgets, notwithstanding, Craig's flat could have been sold in a couple of days in London. <laughs> a couple of minutes. <laughs> so um, any last thoughts about what we are interested in seeing from Bond 25 before we talk about some of the inside baseball and then move on to some of the more timeless good topics? Bond film. I'd like to, yeah. I'd like to see something contemporary. I, I think the Daniel Craig era has been brilliantly marked by this sort of mahogany, antique sense of Europe, whether it's Montenegro or London or Scotland. I, I want to. I've, I've been saying this for about ten years. I'd love to see a real contemporary pulse to a Bond film, whether it's you know a city like Barcelona, one for David, or just um, just something a bit more funkier. And I, I want to see streets. I want to see I want to see Craig's Bond sort of doing what Roger Moore did in Live and Let Die, being slightly a fish out of water in sort of urban streets. You want spooks? Taking the bus. So, so Shanghai and Skyfall was maybe a bit too clean and crisp and you want Something like you know being in Hong Kong, being in Hong Kong or somewhere where it's a bit of both. I just want to see some sort of bustling street life. I, you know, I want to see Bond sort of running through a club. You know, and a, a, a sort of drag queen doorman is uh, stopping him, and it's all just chaos and so something. Something like Bond stumbling on the set of Blade Runner. Uh, yeah, and I'm not joking either. I just want to see a little bit more contemporaneous. But I, I think uh, Kerry Fukunaga is going to be highly aware of that. He'll, he'll be making his 2020 Bond film. Uh, I don't think he's going to be making some bespoke remake of From Russia With Love. I'd also say it's okay to evoke what's happening in 2019. Just don't do it too explicitly. Don't actually say, uh, don't actually say Donald Trump. Just, you know, you can yeah. evoke it, you can hint yeah. at it. Do you, do you think uh, they should put Theresa May at the end then, James? Well, the, the coda of from, For Your Eyes Only is not dated well. <laughs> well, well they, could, they could film it with, with a, a Theresa May look, lookalike, and then by the time the movie comes out, <laughs> she's gone, I mean. and somebody else is I mean. prime minister. <laughs> 
That's what I was going to say. Remember the first Kingsman movie? They had this guy who's like made up to look like Barack Obama and like, but he's in all, but he's on in all the plot. And then, you know, I saw, you know, the director said, oh, that's not Obama. Oh, oh come on, guy. You like made the guy look like Obama, even though you didn't see his face. Like, you know, cut it out. Don't, don't deny something that's you know, so obviously true. If you want to like make commentary, just use a generic president or generic whatever. Exactly. That's, that, that's why I even do like <laughs> Middle Eastern politics or Irish politics is always su such a dangerous gamble for films like Bob because anything could happen. Anything horrible could happen from the, the, the day they film that scene to the day audiences sit down and watch it. So that's why they don't, you know, even like, Mexico City in 89 had to be slightly dressed up and put a slight sort of narrative distance with Isthmus and these sort of uh, fake principalities like, you know, San Monique and Never Let Die. But yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I feel we've already had Theresa May in Bond films. It's Judy Dench played her a little bit, but, but with a bit more, a bit more fight and resolve, well, a lot more fight and resolve. There was that delicious rumour that Helena Bonham Carter, in the sort of Danny Boyle uh, moments that happened, uh, that she might be playing the British Prime Minister. And I, I felt it was a slightly rubbish theory, but I actually thought it was a brilliant idea as well. If you're going to have, like, feature the heads of state, just go really macabre and baroque with them, because otherwise, yes, you're going to have to have an actor, you know, with a slightly orange tint or, you know, an actress who uh, can't look the camera in the eye. I kind of like, Mark, this is more of our generation, like, yes, before our generation, yeah, yes, minister, where the prime minister doesn't actually feature. And, I mean, Judy Dench, Judy Dench's M always, ref well, she's referenced, like, the prime minister a few times in the films. Yes. Don't go there. Don't show it. Just have it as a side note. Like, you know, the prime minister's going to have my balls or something, you know. Yeah. For garters, yeah. You, yeah, you, you want that. I mean, you can tell they were not in the early 80s. They were like, do we, when do we change it from, the prime minister, he'll have my guts for garters to she, you know, they, and they obviously embraced it with three eyes only at the end there, which must, I, I was too young to know why they did that. It sort of works in a very 81 British culture type way. Um, but it's, it's so full on. I, do, I can't see Alec, uh, Alec Baldwin doing his Trump to camera, uh, sort of taking a call from Felix. Um, well, like, no, well, I like can't. I go back to I was about to say, I go back to the ball and there's like references to the PM. It's like, I'd have to look up who the prime minister was in 1965. It's, it's, you know, the, yeah, yeah, there you go. We have to look up who it is now. <laughs> yeah. The, the, if, if they want to do that, they'll have to shoot it right at the end. And they, they ought to start looking for uh, Boris impersonators and um, Reese Mogg and God knows who else. Who else. Oh. Don't mention their names in this James Bond love fest. How, how dare you? The, the, of course, the other head of state that mm. gets mentioned is obviously Her Majesty, which ultimately one day, as they say, if they're still making, as David says, if they're still making Bond mm. films, mm. Yeah. Um, that will change at some point. It won't be on Her Majesty's Secret Service anymore. Well, so. and, and, and she took over as queen the same year that Ian Fleming started writing the novels, 1952, right? Great. Sorry, well, that, that's that, that's what happens when you invite an old guy like me along. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're now the senior. It's not me anymore. That's that's good. <laughs> I was because David, you referenced about your first bomb movie was uh, the man with the gold gun. I remember. On a yes, that's podcast. right. Yes, and mine was mine was Thunderball, and it was. But actually, it's like I was a Bond fan even before that. Bill Spawn twenty five timeline starts about nineteen sixty two. <laughs> All right, so. Another thing that, as a group, we thought would be interesting to address is the kind of presumption that we're going to get told about 
who's in the film and what's going on in a nice formal eon kind of a way that we're going to keep with those kind of traditions but as i think our show notes point out not all films do this what what should we expect from a press conference when are we hoping it will happen those kind of questions go well we were hoping for it last <laughs> week <laughs> uh, I, I, they're, they're all different aren't they so what we can expect from i i, I guess there'll be a, a title announcement maybe there'll be a, a blonde girl and villain uh who won't be blowfeld and whoever it is it won't be blowfeld even if they're blowfeld yeah <laughs> uh but yeah i i think um I think somebody said that you know most films they don't go through this whole thing of of having a press conference to to announce a film, but you know the, the Bond films are special because uh, a press conference for a Bond film makes the news. If you do it on some you know two bit film, uh, that that doesn't happen. Most films will have a press that can have a press conference, but it's not going to it's not going to get on the news. This is not the reason they did them originally, but I think the reason why they should continue is it just puts to bed all the tabloid crap. We've we've announced the cast. We've announced the cast. Sometimes the title, right? Sometimes a plot synopsis, which sometimes changes, um, but at least it just puts a pin in all that crap that goes around the media for you know. And, and it and it is different. It, it it actually helps make the series unique. I you know. Because mm, I mean, Eon are big on tradition. They're big on their traditions, and it is a it, and it is a great unveiling. I always think they're literally pulling back the silk sheets on this, you know, this era's Bond film, and uh, they respect their traditions. And it's it's a great way of of getting global press. And even an announcement of you know Avengers five or or Star Wars ten will not get that global fever that a Bond film does, where literally you know the Indian Times, the Czech Republic Chronicle, they are all covering it and reporting it. And I, I think that actually other franchises are aware of the, 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 the uh, quietly aware of of the inherent value of it because because you look at the Comic Con panels, you know their press conferences, their press calls carefully steered, carefully managed. I believe there may or may not be something at the end, this time next week with Star Wars and a trailer and a title announcement, presumably within the um, the weekend uh, celebration, Star Wars celebration that's happening in Chicago. Um, so I, I don't think it's certainly not that anyone said it here, but it's not a dead, tired thing. I, I think it's a great thing. And also how Eon handle it. They do handle it differently. View to Kill, they made more, perhaps more of a press call of the unveiling of the Bond stage when they'd nearly finished principal photography. Uh, Living Daylights, they they did one way into shooting in Vienna and likewise Quantum of Solace. I, I do think a lot of fans and a lot of online commentators uh, must stop looking at previous timelines and previous calendars you know there, there are people going oh well i think the trailer is going to be 32 days from now because that's what happened in for skyfall or spectre and it, it doesn't work like that and it certainly doesn't work like that because we, we've got a whole new era for bond um with um universal and united artists releasing and annapurna and engine there's a, there's lots of different people and some of it's going to this new bond films some of it might be done and presented and marketed just a little differently um, because there's different people with different, you know, different pulls, and they've got their own traditions. Right, and and specifically the Living Daylights, Mark cited. You know, the first incident were like doing work on Gibraltar, and then it was like a week or so when they had the press conference in Vienna, and I'm sure it had to do yes. with logistics yeah, yeah. of them. You know, you, you know, there's certain dates you could get get to film at Gibraltar or whatever, 
Um, yeah, it, it, it tends to vary. And one of you guys, I guess, that Eva Green was cast after they had begun filming Casino Royale, right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the the other thing, the other thing, Mark, is this is the first Bond film in thirty years to not be released mm-hmm. around October, November, December. So when trailers and posters and everything else came out, that, that, there was a lot of mm-hmm. people don't realize there's a lot of industry timetables that run in mm-hmm. the background that the public don't see to do with. I mean, CinemaCon was this week, right? And the only reason CinemaCon floated up was because they actually had some content this year. But that, that show goes on either before or after the NAB in Vegas every single year where all the distributors and the international uh, cinema chains get together and show their wares and make deals and distribution arrangements and all this, all this other stuff. Those kind of things are always happening in the background. And mm. a lot of this timetable for movie releases is based around the business behind the scenes that fans don't see they don't release the poster on a certain day to please the fans no it's all to do with this marketing Mm. effort that goes on behind the scenes so the timetable i think is ripped up and thrown out for this one because of the april release date um, yeah, that, that, that's right. I saw somebody on Twitter yesterday was saying, oh, you know, no Bond girl's been announced and there aren't any rumours. And so it means that the whole film's going to be a disaster. But uh, uh, no, no, just because just because. Yeah, this is people have been cast. This film has shot more than just a chase scene on a frozen lake. There has been more film has gone through that Bond lens on Bond 25. Yes. You know, uh, Sets were built a long time ago. Yes, things changed uh, you know, in, for various reasons, but this film is well into production. Also, when people go, oh, it's principal photography starts on. Yeah, that's that's a sort of loose calendar. Yes, studios and actors need some timings. And then when people say, oh, they're not filming because Daniel Craig's in New York at the moment or Rami Malek's on set for something else, that has no bearing on whether or not they will be in the Bond film. Because schedules can be organised and you don't have to be there all the time. Well, Daniel Craig was actually out of action for about three weeks during Spectre because he had a knee operation. Yeah, the, the famous fourth film knee yeah. operation that they all seem to, to hit. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and, and filmmaking, even on, well, especially on a scale of Bond and big franchise filmmaking, filmmaking is about navigating and working with challenges and problems. So even when a, a script you know, or a uh, film is delayed by seven weeks, that is a problem that is useful for the film and it is a problem that, that those making it are used to as well. So I think a lot is... V- yeah, a lot is in place. Well, and then, for example, the most recent Mission Impossible film, you have the star break his ankle, and they still managed to get the movie off on time. They had to like adjust the mm. adjust the schedule, and and they were apparently like within weeks of the release date, they still got it out on time. I mean, these, these things happen. Yeah, although Mission Impossible did that weird because it did, the last one had a really long shoot, like ridiculously long shoot. And I remember the whole cast went on the Graham Norton show in in the UK, which is our sort of prime chat show. It's a great chat show. And um, but they were on mid shoots promoting it. I was like, oh, that's different. Where you're you're coming on to promote a film. It's almost like we're we're still making it. It's still happening. Cars break down. Actors are ill. Costume designers can't. You know, can't finish a suit. That's that's what happens. It's how these films work around it, and that's that's where the creativity comes. And, and so, I, I really, I really hate reading so much negativity of, of any big film like this because you know, just just understand that things are in place and that things can be navigated. It doesn't have to mean the end of of Western Bond civilization as we know it. If if there's a delay or if, or well, some, also, yeah. also, I mean, can you imagine from Russia with like, made in the social media age? Where it's like it's like 
Richard Maybaum gets the idea of having uh, Grant shadow Bond as these rewrites when they're filming in Istanbul. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, not a lot of people know that Sky, Skyfall shut down for about two to three days because everybody had Montezuma's revenge. <laughs> you know? So. Yeah, could you? Yeah, like you only live twice. Oh, Connery's leaving. This series is dead. This will be the last Bond film ever. And I hate Donald Pleasance. What's he been in? You know, it's like, yeah, could you imagine it? They had to build a new studio for Goldeneye, Leaves Dinner, whatever it's pronounced. Um, there was this vitriol where they did, you know, they announced that the, the, the release date is going to move from Valentine's to Easter. And the vitriol, and it was coming from people I knew as well. And I was like, whoa, 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 calm down. First off, there are bigger things to worry about, but it's a film. And this, this has happened before. You know, Spy Who Loved Me was meant to come out in 76. Timothy Dalton's third bomb film was, was locked into Pinewood for uh, September 90. I remember a uh, documentary about Pinewood where the, uh, the MD at the day was talking about how glad he was that Cubby was back. We got the third Dalton film. And then things just happen. It's, it's just, yeah, it, it doesn't mean that people don't know what they're doing. As I say, they're going to market this film. They're going to, those important beats are going to be remembered. And one of those important beats is a press call um, or a photo call. It's not always a press conference where questions get answered, um, but they will be keen to do that. And like, you know, uh, like James says, it'll, it'll tally more with the industry's scheduling and the industry's windows and showcasing than perhaps appeasing fandom. My personal preference would be for a photo call like they did with Spectre. I mean, they answered press uh, reporters' questions afterwards, but like the Skyfall press conference, there were some good questions. There were a lot of bad questions. I just, you know, I thought the way they handled Spectre was actually better. Yeah. To, it just smoother. Mm. Yeah, we don't need to hear the lead actress go, I'm going to be a match for Bond. Oh. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think they're aware of, yeah, of how to do it in 2019 as well. All right, so let's have a bet between ourselves. If they do a press conference, is the first question out of these two, which is going to get asked first, will the new next actor be Idris Elba? Would you support a female Bond? They're going to ask Barbara. They're going to ask somebody from the Daily Mirror, the Guardian, is going to ask Barbara Broccoli, Daniel Craig, that stupid question. So I'm with you, Bill. Just take take photos, um, have a speech by the director, and, and get out. What? Well, it's always it's funny with Bond. It's always once we know the title, it's so who's doing the theme song, and then uh, what's the poster look like? There's always the next thing that everyone's clamoring for, uh, yeah, on the horizon. Remember, Skyfall had two press conferences. They had one at the beginning of filming, you know, at Pinewood, and they had one in uh, Istanbul when they were like arriving on the sequences there. Yeah, they also they, they also did for Casino. They did a photo shoot in the Bahamas and in Venice Ab for press. Absolutely, conference. absolutely. But just to sum up my feelings, it's like I'm not especially worried. Because, you know, Scott Burns came in. He was hired for four weeks, and he worked for, guess what, four weeks. And he's a busy guy, and it's like, okay, he, they got what he contracted for. So, and we'll see how it yeah, goes. Yeah, I, 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 saw, I saw some negative commentary about that. I, I didn't really get it, um, you know, that it was just four weeks. But if if that's how he's used to working to, to that kind of time frame and that's all he had well um that's all he's got to give right yes he's he's not working from scratch he's revising he's he's hopefully improving that's why you have a script doctor quote unquote is to like improve what you've got that's and, that, and that's why there are guys like scott burns who are paid very well to do that absolutely because it's, it's not like he's got a blank page he's mm. 
Mm. Even now, even now, there'll be people inputting, drafting, thinking. Yeah, you know, thinking, that's important as well when you're doing a script. Just, you know, what ideas will solve that situation? Yeah, so I've, I've got no no problems with him working on it uh, for four weeks. He's done it. He, he's done the job as far as, I, uh, as I'm concerned. You can do a lot as a writer at that level. You can do a lot in four weeks. You could inv- advance and... Yes. Enhance. Uh, you can do a lot. It's like that old um, urban legend where, you know, a company's struggling with a problem for years and years and years, and they hire a guy, and he comes in, walks straight up, circles the bit that's wrong, and invoices them for $50,000. Like, well, you only circled one thing for $50,000. Yeah, but that was the thing you needed to find out. And that's kind of like a script a script doctor, right? He just comes in, fixes the little bits, gets paid very well, and leaves. Yes. Yeah, and, and does, yeah. I mean, Carrie Fisher made you know made a, a career of it. She came in and helped Force Awakens and, and some of the, the more recent Star Wars movies. I think she did, um, she certainly helped on prequels. That was one of her stock in trades. And they come in quick and leave early. You know, they, they are like the, the stealth writers. And someone like Scott Burns is top of that. He's like one of the, the top names of being able to do that. Someone that Barbara and Eon have circled and thought about before as well. All right, straw poll production. Will he be on the titles? Will he have a credit? Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and there may be more names as well. That often happens. We've had other names. Jez Butterworth, sort of his name came up uh, down the road. Yeah, I, I wondered about that too, actually. Yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten, he, I'd forgotten he'd uh, had some input into the script. I'll, I'll say yes as well. Well, Jez worked on um, uh, Skyfall and Spectre, but only got a Spectre credit. Yes, exactly. And that... The, the, there's also other I, – I have a friend who worked on Spectre. He does get credited, but in a very different end credits way, uh, and he was involved with a lot of it. There's, there, there's also other people, that, you know, pool of ideas and thinkers as well that, that often accompany a bond. Not always, but they have that. It's possible Fukunaga might get us credit. We, if all we know, he did some rewriting um, before Burns came along. I mean, it's possible. I mean, he has, he has a record as a writer as well as a director, so he might get credit. I mean, as I understand, the Writers Guild allows three credits. I think if a director takes the unfilmed Fukunaga line, you you don't stick your name also in the writing credits. I think that's just a given, mm. even if you do write on it. Mm. What director hasn't had a say in some of the story of his film that he's taken Absolutely, over anyway? Yeah. All right, quick fire, quick fire round. The funniest thing that won't come true at the press conference that you've heard rumoured in the tabloids. Go. Oh God, how long have we got? <laughs> Starring Jodie Coma. Not happening. <laughs> it will not come true. That is based on a Raymond Benson continuation novel. I'm reasonably certain that is not. Happening. James, you got one. It's it's hard when you know some of them are actually happening, even as outlandish as they're going to be. I think this film. For all the coverage it's got about delays and whatnot, I think this has been the least leaky rumored film that there has been in year in years. Usually by now we know the we know the title, we know a good collection of the cast. Um, even if we don't know who they're playing, we know bits of the story, um, locations they're going to use. I think the locations is the only thing, and that's now impossible to keep tight, right? Because of the international agreements and tax levies and all that other stuff, all that news gets out. But although. You're assuming that these countries are playing themselves. Well, yeah, but in, in terms of where they're going to be shooting, we, we, we know that. Yes. There's no yes, surprises yes, there, yes. just because it's impossible to keep that down. I can't remember in the internet age a less a, a less covered Bond film in terms of leaks. Um, you know, Spectre, we obviously had the mother of all leaks with the Sony hack. Um, mm-hmm. 
But even back in Casino... Skyfallthemovie.com? <laughs> even with Casino... Uh, yeah, the domain name gave that away, didn't it? Um, even with Casino, we knew well, the script came out ahead of time, right? So I don't know of a Bond film where it's... If, if they did the press conference Monday and announced the cast, it would probably be the most surprising one of years. Mm. Usually, I mean, I mean, Baz... Baz and the Daily Baz and the Daily Mail has been very quiet, and I don't know whether that's his sources have dried up because there have been some staffing. I think changes he's been assassinated well. for being the, uh, a Bond. I, 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 I honestly, honestly, he hasn't. Yeah, I, I honestly, I honestly think, I, I honestly think the people he gets his tips from aren't working on the film anymore because there's been a lot of there's been a lot of changes behind the scenes, which won't really be well known until the film's out in the credits roll. Yes. But we know there's been changes, yeah. and it's changed. It's, just change the patterns and the relationships and the, the timings, like you say. You know, I'm sort of aware of Star Wars things. And Star Wars, who thought that the last two or three or four Star Wars movies could be created under such security? And, I mean, if you ever went to Pinewood, it was like Cold War Berlin. You, you literally couldn't sort of look above yourself, let alone get your camera or phones out. And I think that, oddly, in this saturated social media world, it's a little easier to keep some secrets because everyone's looking, but if they're not looking in the right place or if just some people are being more circumspect, because look, Star Wars has kept most of its secrets. All right. I don't, I'm not awash with following rumors and pap shots, you know, it, for that franchise, but they, they kept a lot of their story secrets quiet. And I think if they can, then bond can. And, and like, yeah, like, um, like it's just been said, I, I think we, it would be great if we knew nothing, the fans will, literally have apoplexy and die of dehydration and heart attacks but i i i wonder if we do just maybe get told a bit less along the way on this who knows i was about to say with star wars like i was vaguely aware they were going but then it's like i didn't know anything until like they went on social media and said we wrapped it in like pictures of the cast hugging each other it's like okay that's that's about all i can tell you hmm. about the movie and it was perfect less was more even though those actors had actually signed three years before i mean that wasn't widely known, you know, the, the, the trinity of those heroes coming back. But they kept that quiet. It was always rumoured and assumed. But, yeah, I, I think that was a brilliant move of, um, of subterfuge. All righty. Shall we go into some quick-fire questions from the, from the Twitters? Let's do it. Roll the dice. Should Quentin Tarantino have directed a Bond film or direct one in the future? No. He, he, he's, his direction is too... Uh, Tarantino, it's uh, and it would make it less Bond. In other words, in other words, too much about him and not enough about Bond, so and, to speak. You know, if people complain about the Spectre theme track theme uh, original um, OST being a little bit repetitive, well, Quentin will just go back to the back catalogue and copy and paste other people's music all over the film. And also, he he was circled or mentioned about doing a Star Trek movie. If if Tarantino can't really do a Star Trek movie because he's possibly Tarantino. Other things probably happen there, but I don't want him to go near Bond. And I think Eon would be, you know, I would love Spielberg to direct a movie. In fact, Spielberg of right now, I think the last 10 years of his work have proved more than anything. He could do a Spielberg a Bond movie, but it, it's not in the template. It's not in the working practices of Eon and their, you know, to them, Bond is the star, not Tarantino. It would be like Tarantino's 0010th film. It would, it would just not sit. I don't think it wouldn't land well. I, I got to, I, I got to disagree with you, Mark. I think they should keep Spielberg as far away from Bond as possible. Oh, 
Or Spielberg. I'm, I'm taking this very well, I think. Nate, you know, I mean, I mean, I know, Mark, you're a Spielberg fan, but um, can you imagine Spielberg working for producers that have more power over the film than he does? Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the immense reason why it wouldn't happen. I just feel he's actually in a better place than he's ever been. But it, it's not it's it's not in that arena. Although, you know, I think they've proved with um, with particularly Sam Mendes that they can go for bigger names, but they still have to be part of that almost you know that british idiom you know that that sensibility of britishness which curiously though they're, they're not quite hankering alongside with fukunaga no but i think they have way more control over the film with fukunaga than they did with mendes oh uh, yeah and, with, and Boyle as well and I, I i don't know this this is my i Boyle. i've heard from people who've worked with him not on bonds but he's He's, he can be a tough cookie to work with and has very strong views about what he wants for a production. And I, you know, I feel perhaps that was never going to be a good fit for Bonds. That's just my opinion. I, I, was, I was just going to say about, in, in question about Tarantino, if yeah. one ultimately did, couldn't make it work with Danny Boyle, they are not going to make it work with Tarantino. It just, it, yeah. All right, next question. What are you looking forward to in terms of cinematography for Bond 25? Shaky cam or a more composed style? I'm not a fan of shaky cam, I've got to say. Uh, definitely more composed. I, I'm slightly concerned that the cinematographer for this film has used a lot of shaky cam in the past. But Fukunaga has not. And Fukunaga, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's his call. But going back to like the potential for Americanization of the franchise, we saw a little bit of a Quantum of Solace, and it didn't sit well with audiences. So going back to the sweeping vistas and the cinematography that we've had over the f- you know fifty plus years, I th- I think they would do well to keep it in that vein. Mm, they will still have Bond arriving in a beautiful widescreen, for you know, sort of horizon. That will still happen. But I I mean I I get the concern about shaky cam. But shaky cam is sort of the history of Bond. You know, if you look at the uh, the fight in the elevator in Di- in Diamonds, or well, that's jump cuts versus shaky cam. Two di- two two different things. Yeah, that as well. But but it's yeah, but it's still the same sort of jagged momentum. Uh, and I've got I've got no problem. You know, people, I think a few people have been concerned about Linus Sangren and his shaky cam in. Um, in the first man but the idea was there was characters inside a hurtling capture in space it's going to be a little movie and little jerky and uh, spiked around well i think immediately seeing those norway scenes that the camera is going to be held down but i have got no problem with shaky cam that's basically what i'm saying um in the right context and used properly and he, he took one of the most you know the most famous moments and weeks of 20th century history and pop culture history and human history and he didn't retro it he didn't make it feel like it was i, th- I think one of the best things of, of first man which i think r- really got overlooked when it came out one of the best things about the photography of that film is it doesn't it is not apollo 13 and when it started it was like oh i want it to be apollo 13 and a half and it wasn't. And I, I, I love that the cinematography of that film just took away all the obvious retroness. And I'm, I'm feeling that maybe this Linus Sangren will do the same with Bond. I don't think he's going to go obvious. With Apollo 11, I thought it was used when appropriate. That's my main point of reference for the guy. You know, it, it was fine. It didn't seem excessive. It, as, as one of you guys said, it was like, it was appropriate. You know, when the space caps wasn't like, you know, in trouble, you, know, you had shaky cam and, then, like when they're walking on the moon, you didn't have shaky cam. So, so 
as a follow-up, not from a not from a listener, but how do you feel about the longer shots that Fukunaga delivered in True Detective? And you know, like that's the one that I think David, you were told to go True and watch Detective, the seven-minute yeah. scene. Of, um... I think I think after Mendes did try to do it at the beginning of Spectre and kind of pulled it off. I think it would look like Fukunaga's doing a one-upmanship if he tries to do a similar thing. In uh, I agree completely. Yeah, it would be a big mistake to try and follow that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, even if he does it better, it's just it's just going to look a bit dickish. And it, it's always going to be compared. So why draw that that potential for coming under fire when you when you needn't? Just tell the story, and um, that's it. You don't don't need to compete with Mendes on that. And also, if you do it, you're going to be compared to Orson Welles in Touch of Evil. Mendes got compared to Orson Welles. Like, you know, it's, it's just, you don't need that point of comparison. How do you class your attitude to spoilers for Bond 25 or any other production? Do you have a different attitude to spoilers on this series to other series? Are you interested in avoiding them? Are you interested in fossetting out all the information you can find? How do they affect your, um, yeah, that's a good question, your enjoyment actually. of the final product? Um, because the, I mean, one of the dangers of doing, as I think we all do here, of following along with production is that you find out things that you don't necessarily want to know about, and uh, so that that can impact on your enjoyment. So uh, I try and find out uh, more general stuff. I, I I don't like to really know about plot details because at the end of the day, I want to be able to sit down as a Bond fan and watch the film and enjoy it without thinking, oh, yeah, well, yeah, we heard all about this from, from Baz Bamigboy or, or, or whatever or Daily Excess or whatever. I, I like to look at these as giant jigsaw puzzles. Um, you know, we see all the press rumors, but then because, you know, a few of us on this podcast talk mm. to people either connected or working on the films, um, and we, we document the production kind of behind the scenes as it's going on. So when the film's out, we can write these big epic articles about how the film was made, which on the last few films have not been well documented. So I guess without people doing what we do and like Bill with your timeline, this stuff would probably be lost to the ether, especially as official airbrushing of history seems to be more and more apparent these days. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't spoil the enjoyment of the film because I like to see how they put it all together. And knowing the plot and who's in it and what's going to happen and even having the script, no, doesn't affect my enjoyment of it at all. In fact, um, I think Quentin Tarantino, going mm. back to him, said when he goes to see a film he's been looking forward to, the first time he watches it, he just sits back and enjoys the ride. The second time he takes it apart in his head and works out how they made it. And he, and he says he gets more enjoyment the second time. And it's like the other way around for me. I like to take it apart the first time I see it and then the second time sit back and just go with the ride. I'm, pre I'm pretty similar. As I say, I've actually seen two Bond movies where I had the chance to read the script before. One, one was The World Is Not Enough and the other was Spectre. And in the case of The World Is Not Enough, I did not see the final script. It was, I learned later, the dance draft that was kind of in between Purvis and Wade and Bruce Fairstein. So there were still surprises when I saw the movie, starting with the fact that it began in um, Spain instead of Geneva. Um, but I can, basically, my curiosity is enough that if I had to read the script, I would, I would grab it, but I, and I can still read the movie, and I can still enjoy the movie, but I know other people don't. So when Spectre came along, I write about that script. I held on to it for like, a couple of two or three years before I... I guess in a way, it's a bit like reading a novel and then going to see the film of the novel. You already know what's going to happen to a large extent. You know, they always change details, but you know what's going to happen. 
So I'm guessing the spy love me was uh, was all red for you then. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> well, I remember buying the John Gardner novelization of License to Kill a couple of weeks before I saw it, and I remember I didn't change. I, I knew the whole story, and, and it's it's very tight to that film. But again, it's it's like James said, it's it's seeing the bits. You know, you know what the ingredients are, but you haven't seen how they're prepared, or you haven't seen how they're cut, or presented and put on the plate um but i i feel I, I feel there is a clamor for spoilers there's a clamor for too much information and i, I know that eon really would wish i know, well i imagine they really wish that what was happening in norway wasn't so public but then it's 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 doing a service to bond from afar because it is still creating and, and generating this fever and excitement which bond does and, and, yeah, and that's why we're all here now talking about absolutely it. so um yeah <laughs> my stock line about spoilers is that uh, there's a statute of limitations you get you know the exact statute that's kind of negotiations but just a quick anecdote so like my mother me to see honor majesty's secret service and my my father had read the novels so i remember getting home and he had this like kind of so, son, what do you think? And he, of course, he knew what happened because he had read the novel. And I was like, I was totally crushed that Tracy had gotten killed. And he just had this kind of annoying look and just, well, that's how it goes. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember when, when Casino, the week before it came out, I was interviewed with on BBC Radio about it. And I, I kind of blundered and mentioned that, oh, you know, the Vesper dies at the end, like the book. Um. And, you know, the vitriol from the audience, it's like the book's been out decades. And it's yes. like, yeah, yeah. seriously. Don't tell me how the Bible right. ends. Yeah. Yes. Everybody dies. People generally thought that was a spoiler, you know, that mm. the whole foundation of the character that you've been watching for all of these decades is based on. Uh, oops, we didn't know about that. Um, come on. You know, next you'll be saying that, next day you'll be saying that you're surprised that Bond, you know, lives to fight another day at the end of this film. Well, you know. I remember when I, I first read Casino Royale and uh, I read it before seeing any of the, the films because uh, it was one of the bomb books my dad had. And I remember feeling absolutely crushed that uh, Vesper died at the end of the book. And then when he says, the bitch is dead now, and it's like, oh, dear, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, we all are at some stage amateur journalists on this podcast, so we do have to... <laughs> I would like to say that we're more professional than the majority of the journalists that write about Bond. <laughs> well, it was summed up for me last week when the great Shane Rimmer sadly passed, and I did a little tweet that went a bit... The media picked up on it, and then and I was happy with that because I wanted... You know, I'm glad that Shane Rimmer got acknowledged. But there was this photo of him alongside the Lotus from Spy Who Loved Me. And it was, here is Shane Rimmer alongside the Lotus from Octopussy. And I was just like, if, if they can't get that right, and I know that every you know photo editor and, and sort of B-grade you know, junior intern journalist is not going to know everything and every car and every bomb film. But it's just like, my God, if they, and we've said this before, if they get that wrong, how are they coping about Brexit? And sort of climate change, and it's like, oh my god, I don't, I just, don't want to think about it. And here I thought it was the Rolls Royce from Thunderbirds. <laughs> in 1981, this was the Tennessee. I was working in a small city in Kentucky, but it was in the circulation range. You know, for your eyes only, and it had a view about how it was like much more down to earth. It was a caption. It wasn't in the main story, but it was a caption that said, James Bond, parentheses, Sean Connery. And it's clearly right. Like, and 
And I saved that. I, I don't know if I still have it, but I, I saved it for a long time just because I couldn't believe it. I would love to see that bill one day. <laughs> that would go alongside brilliantly the 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 the, the frame in the Simpsons when um, Bart's friend gets the Sean Connery picture signed by Roger Moore. <laughs> oh, that's happened though. That's happened. Didn't Roger? Did some act, maybe it's not Bond, but some actors they they do that. They just take the Mickey and just sign for each other. I think Matt Damon does it for um ah what's his name Mark Wahlberg and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, they just sign each other's autographs. <laughs> if, if you're so stupid to not know at the moment in time you're meeting a big name, then who cares if I get the name wrong? <laughs> <laughs> All right, one last quick fire question, such as it is. These have not been quick, but that's all right. They've been firing. Um, if you took the rocket car seat instead of Die Another Day, would that change your general perception of the movie? Maybe maybe the uh, the surfing rather than the car. The rocket car scenes weren't the problem with Die Another Day. I'm not, I don't mind Die Another Day. I actually, as I've said before, I prefer it to it's the one that comes before. It's ridiculous. It's silly. Oddly, the moment of Halle Berry doing her backflip in Cadiz, that's, that irritates me more than any uh, ice, you know, ice surfing moment. Bond had to go that extreme and that ridiculous to then facilitate Casino Royale. So that's, that's slightly how I try and fan defend it. But I, I, no, I, to answer the original question, no, I don't think that was perhaps um, some of the uh, pitfalls of that film. To, to reference some other British culture, Mark, that's like saying without the Daleks, there wouldn't be alliances of planets. You know, it's like, do we have to go to those depths to get better? Some long-term well-known fans who are friends of ours who have written um, books and other publications about Bond would, who will remain, remain nameless for this quote. 45 minutes into that, we looked at each other and said, is this the best Bond film? <laughs> and they were wrong. Well, there you go. I mean, like in the production, <laughs> in the production and run up to that film that was constantly compared to Moonraker. Admittedly, the novel and not the film. <laughs> Partway through the process, you think, well, you know, this is this is all right. This is going along in a fair clip. There's nothing too outrageous. Hello, invisible car. Hello, space. Do you know what's you know what's striking is we've been covering like this film for the last couple of years and then the number of like callbacks to stuff about Die Another Day to do with Bond Twenty Five has been ridiculous um and i think the one that we actually haven't covered yet is the the casting notes of a female mi6 agent well you know that was you know bond 20 again i mean purpose and wade have whether it was them or not tried it a couple times and here we are again so the callbacks to die another day's production seem a little bit worryingly frequent I, one one of the problems I've got with Die Another Day overall is is the dialogue. Everything's in weird sort of italic Bond dialogue quotations. Oh, that's a mouthful, or that's a handful, and it, it's like, oh, whoa, just, just stop doing this. It's it's because there's a, the ingredients are there. It's just it's over flambe. You know, they've over yeah. overburnt the barbecue or over you know killed, killed it. I think I think maybe in the future we'll come to. You mean it's like slightly unnatural, Mark? Just yeah, the, the uh, don't try and trip me up in that way. I can see what you're doing, but no, uh, yeah, no, it is. And it, but it's, um, I find Halle Berry, she just won the, well, she won the Oscar during production. You're sort of looking at the film going, how? And that's not her fault, but it's the, some of the dialogue is just clunky. And well, I was, I, I was thinking if you did a machine learning Bond film, would it look like Die Another Day? A machine learning Bond film. <laughs> I love it. 
somebody wrote a ransom note out of all of the other Bond films and put it together and made a script. A late friend of mine said, it belongs more in a D. Martin, Matt Helm movie. Oh, then, you know, Matt Helm's coming around again, right? Because they're going to look at rebooting it. So, the, 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 Well, supposedly, they, you know, it's like the the, um, the white whale for Matt Helm uh, fans is doing a serious film, actually based on a novel, but we have yet to see that. So, so yeah, I'd love to do a machine learning James Bond film and see what comes out. Because it would literally, you know, an AI who is uh, that is trained to create and in, in some regards, Hollywood's worked like that anyway, by spreadsheet, right? By calculation on casting titles, release dates, plots, themes, and all that, locations, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's how a lot of Hollywood blockbusters put together anyway. So just automating that. And if the AI is trained to create the most successful Bond film of all time, I think it would be something like Die Another Day on steroids. It would not be it would it would not it would not be subtle elements to create it, right? It made a lot of money though, that film, and it also created a slight studio momentum that yeah I, I i again it's me doing the whole dalek thing if that hadn't happened then that wouldn't have happened but the money that die another day generated probably not just facilitated eons turnabout and to slow down and to simplify things but also to they were able to argue and barter and get daniel craig and do casino royale and do it in that you know honed down more bespoke way because this, you know they'd had such a success with die another day so in that respect let's not throw our Brosnan out with the, the bathwater just yet. Well, again, speaking only of the U.S., Die Another Day sold 27 million tickets. That's not the dollars. That's, you know, actual number of tickets. And it was, you know, at least in the U.S., it was a big hit. Maybe on that depressing note, we should call it. <laughs> no. <laughs> got to start somewhere. got to stop somewhere. So keep your questions coming in. We like to answer them. We like to consider them. There's plenty more in the pool to draw on in future episodes. And as James has said on numerous occasions, plenty of good ones that are whole topics unto themselves. And even the ones I think are going to be quick aren't quick. So, yeah, use the hashtag AskBond to get in touch with these uh, these fine gentlemen. Fine. And, and hopefully one day it won't just be gentlemen. But we're working on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So that leaves me to thank you all for coming along and talking your hearts out. Uh, Bill, Mark, James, and David. Bill, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, the Spy Command URL is hmssweblog.wordpress.com. Um, and then down the side, you can see my other websites. So that's that's the place to start. I'm uh, I'm out there. If you put in the hashtag catching bullets, you'll find me find me on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, my website is markoconnell.co.uk. You can find me at thejamesbondossier.com, and uh, you can connect to all my social bits and pieces there as well. And when <laughs> when I'm not dancing on the graves of Funko Pops. <laughs> Um, you can find us at mi6-hq.com or our Twitter account, uh, Jay's One Live. Thanks, everybody, and we'll chat See to you when we've maybe had a press conference. Take care. Bye-bye.